0: made it really good. And then understanding similarly what our customers wanted or rather what our our listeners wanted, which was, I forgot the exact number, but it was something like 60% would listen to it on their commute. So it'd be a part of their weekly weekly ritual. So on Monday mornings, that's what they would listen to. So we knew we had to have it out by Sunday. (laughs) So like it has had to be on a certain schedule where it could fit into what they're doing and then just helping them get stuff out of it then became sort of an add on later where you do like the digests.
1: Welcome to The Jess Larson Show where I interview leaders, innovators and uncommonly high achievers. Today on the show I've got Thor Ernstson. Did I say it right? You got it. Yeah, close. Thor, tell us about your companies.
0: Yeah, great to be here. Thanks uh, Thanks for having me. I look forward to the conversation. So started a handful of companies and it's generally around the same, same theme of uh problem that I might have that I think others might have as well. And we spend some time validating it and then we, we build a company around it. So it's very simple in theory and obviously each one has its own challenges. So currently building a company called Strata where it's focused on helping people stay in touch. So. Most of the people in the audience here are going to have wide networks where they might wear multiple hats and in those hats, wearing those hats, they have different roles. And then cognitively, it's too hard to put all that into one group. So people wind up with spreadsheets of people or somebody might use a CRM or somebody might use a notebook or scrap paper or business cards or whatever it might be to help organize and stay in touch. At the end of the day, we're all terrible at it. So I realized this is every single executive that I talked to every single sort of successful person. And so many of them just have regrets about not staying in touch with people or just dropping the ball. So I realized it's actually a great opportunity for software to help because they've built out this AI platform that understands your relationships who's important, who's not, and how to how to impact them. So it could be what to say, it could be when to reach out, it could be introductions to make, all kinds of stuff that computers are actually really, really good at once they're trained up properly.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Well, I have a whole bunch of questions about Strata, but before we jump into that, can you tell us about Rally helped and selling it to United and your time at Zynga and some of your background?
0: Yeah, sure. So before this, I actually was a company in between, which was called Feedback Loop, which is a sort of an enterprise insights company. Think about when you're building a product and Rally is probably the best case study. So we were building a consumer healthcare engagement platform, meaning you have all this complex data on your health and insurance companies and doctors and others know a lot about you and you know a lot about yourself, but there's different sort of domains of information there. And generally, they can't share them at all. But once you, if you can combine them, there's all kinds of inferences that you can make that are really, really fascinating. So if you want to, for example, target every pregnant woman in Florida with an ice cream coupon, then we can do that. Now, it's not necessarily the best example, but every pre-diabetic person in Arkansas is probably a better example, where now we can say, well, you should consider these things, or here's a benefit that you already have that you may not even know about, or you know, any number of other, other things. So the opportunity to engage people was so broad that we had to come up with a way to figure out, well, what's going to stick and what's going to work and what's not. And before that, I was, I was at Zynga. We built a couple of games there on Facebook. So Frontierville and worked on Farmville and Cityville and some others. And, and what we learned is if you just test something I and mean, we had 450 million users buying virtual farm equipment for literally over a billion dollars a year, which is crazy, just absolute just insanity. But that's what it was you could test any crazy idea no matter how no matter almost what it was put out a new item see if it sells if it doesn't bullet if it does great optimize it and iterate and iterate and iterate so the faster you can get something to market faster you can get feedback the faster you can iterate more likely to win you are so um applying that concept though in healthcare it's a heavily regulated industry with stodgy players that have been around basically with an unchanged business model for, depending on how you count, either either 80 or 150 years. And it really, like, digital is not something they know, and consumer engagement is just not something they know. So we have to figure out how to bridge those two worlds, rapid iteration and learning, and then business model is relatively fixed in time. So we created, at Rally, these uh, teams to experiment. So it'd be autonomous teams. They can come up with an idea, design it, put it in market, but it's like a fake test market. And then we drive thousands of people into it and just see what they did, what they clicked on, what they reacted to, how they reacted to it, what data is good, what data is bad. And because there are certain visceral reactions that if you ask somebody, they might say one thing, but when you show it to them, they're going to do something totally different. Good example is if I ask you a question about like, could be simple, like how old are you? If I ask you, how old are you, and the picture you see in the background is a a doctor or a nurse with a clipboard, you're not going to be very likely to answer that question. If I ask how old are you, and the picture in the background is like a fit person running, you're going to go, oh, I want to be like that person. Oh, I'm whatever, years old. And then something else, and then something else, and then something else. This is really easy to do, and it drives engagement and escalating engagement. But as soon as you get that healthcare thing in there, people are allergic to it. And then same thing. If you put a Facebook button anywhere on that page, people stop giving information. Mm. And this is this is uh, twelve years ago now. So I bet you if you run that same experiment, <laughs> it would be even more pronounced. Facebook's gotten down quite a bit in uh, their perception of privacy and safety since then. But anyway, so we, long story short, there we ended up ended up selling it to United, and it's now part of their opt-in Group as Rally Health. I saw some numbers on it recently, and it gets 130 million members doing a few billion in revenue so it's successful for them and then and then we built feedback loop to really allow any company to do that how do you like create this sort of innovation engine in a box where you can test any idea or concept even in a heavily regulated or hard you know audience it's hard to reach and right before you were we were talking about your time in, you know traditional finance companies and like that's a perfect example because they can't just launch a new mortgage product and see what happens because right, the ramifications are pretty pretty severe. So they would use feedback loop to do all those kinds of things. But so about half the Fortune 100 is clients.
1: And that one's just feedbackloop.com, right? That's right. That's right. And quick question: Is there is there any follow-up? Like if people like if people are using it for customer discovery, mm-hmm. is there the ability to contact the people that responded to the survey or not so much?
0: Technically, yes, but we don't actually let them do that. So we can do that, and we do sometimes re-engage for specific. Uh, more qualitative insights in terms of follow-up, setting up interviews and stuff like that. But but we have a firewall for our customers because if you're a product manager at Citibank or Aetna and you accidentally learn something about your customers, that's now become an event you have to disclose. And there's various levels. So in, in the Citibank example, it's not that extreme because And the financial regulation around that type of customer information is, it's there, but it's not as strictly enforced as patient information in healthcare.
1: HIPAA or something like that in healthcare.
0: Exactly. If you're, if you're building a product for chronic patients of some sort, like let's say cancer patients and you're building a, building a product only for cancer patients and you're doing testing on cancer patients and the testing is like the best onboarding or features they need, or they care more about. What type of incentives do they care about to show up on time or maintain a streak or something like that? And there's a lot of uh, counterintuitive things that we learn. So like flowers, for example, are a terrible gifts. Somebody has cancer because it irritates all kinds of things and their senses are all messed up from chemo and, and things that unless you're in their shoes, you wouldn't really know, right? But there are other gifts that are more suitable. So being able to do that kind of testing is really valuable. But then as soon as it becomes, oh, you know their name, you're not allowed to know their name, Mm. stuff like that. So opening it up to any sort of interview or dialogue or anything like that has to be very carefully managed. And those are examples of the guardrails we put around it so that anybody in the organization, in theory, could just tap into it and build a a feedback loop to their audience. But, But in practice, it becomes becomes a little bit controlled, but not too much.
1: Yeah. Why do you think startup founders are so unlikely to seek the feedback? Why well like, why are we so convinced our own ideas are so good? Like why do we like, you know, we talk to a couple of friends and like our mom tells us it's great. And we're like, awesome, let's raise the money. Let's do this. Do you think that it's that we're impatient and or do you think that it's like a way to like if you don't ask too many people, then you don't have to confront the fact that you don't actually know and you can keep lying to yourself that you know this is going to work? Like, where do you think some of that comes
0: from? I think there's a few things going on. Uh, one of them is for sure that we are deluding ourselves intentionally. Like, well, You have to believe in your idea because if you don't, nobody else will. So that's for sure. So part of it is definitely that you committed to a path. You got to go down that path and you know, you know, it's going to be hard. So you just got to keep going. Like we all signed up for that. However, I think a, a big part of it is also, I guess it would be survivorship bias where we're only looking at the companies that did get started, but not the 99 where the person did ask themselves that and they did pause and they're like, oh, well, should I really quit my job? Right. And the answer answer in those other cases, my bet is vast majority is no. So it never became a company. So it just died as an idea. But I don't know. I mean, it's definitely there's there's definitely a lot of interesting, interesting traits and, you know, sort of psychological characteristics of founders that are probably not (laughs) representative of the general population. (laughs) Sure. Well, I'm
1: fascinated in Strata because like for me, I have never really made that much money by like being the smart guy or like being the hard worker. Like I've been, I've been the, I've made like when I have made really great money, it's by being the glue between money and the experts we brought on to do this and the the teams to do that and the physical asset and Mm -hmm. that's really where i've i've done the best as founders of different you know funds or things like this and like i i actually have a joke one of my one of a large clients of our media company i guess i can say because they they credit us in the show it's it's in the bloomberg show that we make for them but my client there joked around because I was a client of theirs 10 years earlier and just stayed in touch the whole time and started new businesses since then, whatever. And he he moved over to London a number of years earlier and we still just do a Skype call. I don't know, a couple of times a year, just what's going on. And he made a joke to me. Like, he's like, he, well, it wasn't a joke. He like seriously asked me. He's like, do you like have like a, do you have like a calendar or something? Like, how do you how do you remember to call me? Like, how, do, how, do, how are we still friends 10 years later? Like, what is this, right? And it's gone really well for me. Like I just, my wife jokes that I'm a people collector, you know, and yet learning more about strata, I'm thinking like, wow, I could, I could up my game. Like, even (laughs) if maybe this is something I've worked hard at, that not everyone else has. Okay. This is really funny. That guy I was just talking about literally just messaged me on LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, It's something that I'm seeing like with this. I could, I could level up my game. Like I worked hard at it and it does take, it takes time. It takes effort. And I'm seeing this as a way to like level, level that up. Can you talk more about kind of how Strata simplifies it?
0: Yeah, for sure. But let me first ask, uh, ask a quick question, because this is, this was one of the key moments, key, like, I'm not even going to say aha moments, because it was bigger than that. I can't believe this is true. So you just said that this is one of the most valuable things that you have, you know, your your network—like a better word, your relationships—you have collected. Like, how? What tool do you use to manage that right now?
1: I don't really use a tool. I I just am very, I'm very, very people oriented.
0: It's right. yeah, doing it And and yeah, it's it's honestly my memory. Right. You know. Exactly. Yep. It's all manual. It's your memory. Some people have a database. One guy that's probably the most extreme that has inventoried and cataloged every email he's gotten since, I think it was nineteen like 1980 something, 88 or something, oh, huh. where he saved every single email, deleted it from the email server, and put it in a database and runs analysis on that. Even that, which is literally the most tech enabled version of anything I've heard, he still has to do it all manually. It still is the manual. I think, oh, who should I do this? Who should I reach out to now? So and so forth. And, and me, like I would do the same thing. It's, it's like, who did I talk to six months ago? I haven't talked to since. And I'll just go through my calendar just look at it and write down some names and then have a little notebook and then reach out to them, just see how they're doing, whether it's a text or an email or whatever. And it's all manual. It's all painted. And I thought until we started this a couple of years ago that it was just kind of my problem. It was something that I was doing. And I didn't think that many other people cared about it. And then I talked to more and more people that said exactly the same thing you did. Something to the effect of it's their most valuable asset and they have no tool to help with it, which is crazy. Like this one guy he was at <clears throat> he was at Bridgewater and had a very senior role there. He graduated from Harvard Law School and he went somewhere else to some other prestigious thing. I forgot what it was. And he said his know his value and his like what he looks at himself as like almost his net worth. It's not his job. It's not where he went to school and it's not his bank account. It's who he worked with and who he went to school with and the relationships that he's built along the way. Right. And he like like so many others have a spreadsheet. So I asked him to pull it up. So yeah, happily because he was like showing off this thing that he spent so much time on. So pulls up a spreadsheet and realizes, oh, I haven't updated it in 18 months. So even people that do do something with it, they still, like, the the, the problems are, are behavioral. And it's crazy because the data is already there. The data is already in your calendar. It's already in your email. It's already, you know, already on your phone. So being able to just ingest that and then understand it, and that's key. Because a lot of tools will say, like, you know, it's been 90 days since you talked to Jess. You should reach out, which may be true. But... If we had a transactional conversation, could have been, you know, maybe you're a lawyer on a deal or a, a realtor or something like that. It's like maybe not somebody I necessarily need to stay in touch with. Versus if you make an introduction for me and you're my close friend, and this is the first time we've talked, and then I totally dropped the ball on following up, right? So a lot of these heuristics are just helping you, helping you be a good person to your friends, to your network, to your close relationships. So step one is understanding it. We build this network graph that's really cool, all these different people that are in your life and who they are to you and contextualize all that. And then step two is coming up with, generally it's between 200 and 2,000 actions to take, right? And then we just meter it out. So about two or three every few days, I right now by default, you get three a week, where it says, here's three actions to take, send this email to this person, here's what you can say, it's something relevant to what's going on. So right now it'll say something to the effect of like, hope you're doing well despite the mess in the world or something like that. And by the way, at this time, it's, you know, I don't know when this is going to come out, but this is the Ukraine situation. And then a couple of months ago, it was about Omicron and sort of how every single person in the U.S. seemed to have gotten sick over a two-week period. So it's whatever it is that's kind sort of relevant in the news, if you will. And then some like just, It's really simple. Hope you're doing well. Let me know if I can be of help or something like that. And then like invariably responses come back that are like, so great to hear from you. Can't believe it's been 18 months. Can't believe it's been whatever. So it's not the time. It's the nature of the relationship, right? So our system understands that. And then to answer your question of how that will help you is really used to do more of it with less effort.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's completely obvious to me. Because for for me, so often like my value has been who trusts me, who will take a call from me. Yeah. Right. That's that's really where I brought value to the teams I've started. You know, like my like <laughs> for instance at our commercial real estate fund, like I'm not allowed to buy things. My my one partner is actually my brother. He's like like, he's like, you don't negotiate, you just pay the price. <laughs> he's like, you're so will you're like, you're so into efficiency, you're so into efficiency for time, you just buy stuff. And then like, no, <laughs> you know, like, you bring in the money, I'll spend it, you know, There's and a lot of
0: marriages that have that relationship.
1: <laughs> right. So but when it comes to Yeah, fundraising, or like shows like this, like, who's willing to take time to come on a show, right. And it's very often, who is willing to speak for me, like who is willing to give me the introduction? Like some of my highest profile people, CEOs of large multi-billion dollar publicly traded companies, you know, if they get asked to be on Bloomberg or CNN, That it's an easy yes. Some, some show they've never heard of, you know, <laughs> like they're already busy, maybe, right? But depending who makes the ask for me, it's either yeah. a real easy yes, or it's not happening. Right. Yeah. So can you tell us any uh, customer success stories, probably, you know, probably without names, but like, can you give us some examples?
0: Sure. I get to, I mean, lots of examples just from the last few days. i got, because people always reach out to us. One of the fun things here is people reach out and say like, thanks so much. Like I wouldn't have done X without Strata, right. And that, and they're always like fun stories. So one of them was, was like in between a friend and a colleague, somebody that, One of our users was was working with on a deal and actually with one of the companies we mentioned earlier, and they hadn't talked in a little while, didn't think any of it. Strata recommendation comes up, sends one of these emails, hope you're doing well, blah, blah, blah. And then immediately it's like baby photos and all this stuff. She didn't even know that she was pregnant. They had no idea that she had a kid, was on maternity leave, still checking email because that's how we work. And, and like now they have this like personal connection that they should have had, but like it didn't even come up, right? So it goes from purely work-focused, like, let's get this deal done to sharing a bit of your personal life, right? And then same thing, a guy that was a close friend and he realized that because of strata, he hadn't talked to him really during COVID. And just prompted him to reach out, schedule a phone call and just catch up with a genuinely like, old, good friend that because we're not traveling anymore, because there's no conferences anymore. Well, now they're coming back. But you know it's been two years of like interrupting our habits. So these cues that we used to have are just gone. Like I, I bet there's hundreds of people in San Francisco, for example, where I used to go every every month. I should be reaching out, but without Strata, I just wouldn't because I wouldn't even think of it.
1: well. I think about guests on the show. Like yeah. I've made so many friends from the guests. Like some guests are some guests are okay. And some guests are like, I just totally click with, you know. Yeah. But they're not a part of my life otherwise. And and I definitely do better at staying in touch with some of them versus others. And so I could see this being helpful for me there.
0: And that's okay too. Like there's because it's not about staying in touch with everybody. That's one of the key learnings. So we have a lot of interesting learnings that are not necessarily success stories, but they're they're pretty fascinating because a computer will look at something and say, you know, for example, here's a really strong contact that you stay in touch with, talk to all the time, and all of a sudden you stop, or it goes from like every few days to like once every six months. And to a computer, that's a really obvious, strong suggestion. To a human, that's your ex-wife or ex-business partner, and a terrible suggestion, <laughs> So what we Yeah, learned, do you have
1: a way to turn that off?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, we already do. It's not a, not a part of it. So we look at these outliers. So this is the range. You have, you know, your your closest connections in the middle are going to be your friend your close friends or family or whatever and then no need to do anything there. And then the outer end just going to be, you know, these transactional conversations that might have happened, you know, once 10 years ago and and fine. But then in between is where it's really gray and really murky. Now, if somebody goes from the middle and sort of slips to the towards the outside, then fine. and fine. Then you can sort of intercept it and get them back in. But if it's a can, hard can, cut.
1: Yeah. Can you, then, is there a way to select people? You're like, I want to work on a better relationship with them. Is there a yeah, way to signal that? You can oh, really. Absolutely.
0: Yep. You can do uh, you basically either through lists or through there's feedback loops that are built into it that are to like strengthen, strengthen as well as weaken, as well as say like, no, I don't need to talk to this person right now, but keep them in the, keep them in the flow, but not, not right yeah. now.
1: Well, wow, that's exciting. I'm interested in thinking a little more broadly about these different businesses that you've helped grow to such scale. What's one of your principles for, for new customer acquisition online, for instance?
0: Online. Okay. So uh, probably the main one is go to where the customers are. So a lot of people just spend money on marketing and that's fine. But if you're not marketing in the right place, then that's a challenge. So for feedback loop, for example, we were primarily selling to product managers, digital product managers at large companies. And, and we would talk to as many as we could, we would do cold email outreach and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's fine. But what worked the best was understanding what they were interested in, where they go, what meetups they're a part of, what you know, things like that could be online or 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 live, and just be there, just literally show up. <laughs> and and the same principles applied to online. And then we extended that into all right, so there's no destination, for example, for content and best practices and stuff like that. So we would we started that. So we started at the time certainly the top product management podcast around, which is in 2014 called This Is Product Management. And then we started a bunch of other little brands that were targeting different aspects of what a product manager needs to do. So sharing examples of, of success stories was actually usecase.org. So like showing how to you know, drive certain change within a corporation. Another one was, this is probably my favorite and probably most like shameless of the bunch, but it worked the best for, for eyeballs. We called it PM year in review, product management year in review and we would just take 40 people and it wasn't quite 40 random people but it was just 40 people in product management that we knew and name them the top 40 product managers of the year <laughs> publish that as a as a standalone website get it covered by press and everybody else and then do that year after year and then so you're you know you're the third year running top 40 pm <laughs> Like, there's no substance behind it, really. Like There's a little bit of a write-up and stuff like that, but it's completely arbitrary, 100% owned by us, where we can showcase our customers. <laughs> like, and then what we didn't realize would happen is that everybody's so proud to be on these lists that they share it with their entire network. They're like, oh, look at this list that I happen to be on. <laughs> So people just love talking about themselves and the more you can do that, let them do that, help them do that, give them fodder. It's great. So, and we would take it even, even a step further with our corporate clients. And we would send camera crews in to showcase how a team is working at companies like uh, Northwestern Mutual, like we may have actually done at Citibank as well. We did one in Humana and a few others. And just like showcase how a team that's doing a good job being defined, of course, as using a lot of feedback loop, how they're doing it and what they're doing with it and just telling that story. So so the lessons really are go to where your customers are and then help them do the thing you want them to do.
1: No, that's great. I, there's a version of that. What One of my friends I went to art school with who's been a client for years, she had asked for some help with one of the five largest tech companies in the world was her client. So we flew out to San Francisco, I went to these meetings with her and... They were trying to it was a team who hadn't been doing the business to business marketing and was trying to break into it more. And her analogy was like, you can drive all over Africa trying to get photographs of these different animals, or you can just go to the watering hole. Yeah. Like, what's the watering hole where they're all gonna come anyways? Can you can you partner with the watering hole? Can you invent a watering hole? Can you like, exactly. you know, I'm interested with your podcast that did so well. What do you feel like are some of the principles that, that had to become so
0: successful? We did a bunch of write-ups on it, actually, on like how to build an industry-leading podcast, I think is what it was called. But the main thing is we structured it as an experiment. So at the time, there weren't a lot of podcasts. So we just did a few episodes and tried to promote them and got, I think it was like 5,000 signups in the first week. And we realized that's like, that's not huge necessarily, but it's meaningful for an enterprise B2B SaaS company. So... We looked at that as, all right, so that worked. And then what's the next evolution of it? And the next evolution became higher production value. So a big part of it was actually treating it like a product, as a standalone product. We would do user interviews and figure out what they like, what they don't like, what's going well, what's, what's not. Iterated, it. not very fast because content is actually kind of funny. You can't change it too much because then it becomes kind of weird and disjointed. But we would we'd make tweaks wherever we could. And then the other other stuff was like I, I would say putting putting real investment and real effort into it made it made it really good. And then understanding similarly what our customers wanted, or rather what our, our listeners wanted. Which was I forgot the exact number, but it was something like sixty percent would listen to it on their commute, so it'd be a part of their weekly, you know, weekly ritual. So on Monday mornings, that's what they would listen to. So we knew we had to have it out by Sunday, <laughs> so like it has it had to be on a certain schedule where it could fit into what they're doing, and then just helping them get stuff out of it then became sort of an add-on later, where you do like written digests and best practices. And, and we did uh, these sort of cross episodes where it's like one topic that four or five guests may have talked about. So we would make those kinds of, I don't know what they're called, some sort of cuts. So there wasn't a single answer. It wasn't like a simple thing that just made it work, but a lot of lot of investment time, energy, and, and the right timing. Like we would not launch a podcast today. I'm actually curious, would you, if you were starting now, would you launch a podcast that now?
1: Yes, but maybe for different reasons. Okay. To me, podcasts have been incredibly useful for the guests more so than the audience. Mm-hmm. So creating a podcast that has a number of high profile people on it, which can be the hard part, mm-hmm. makes it really easy to get other high profile people on it. And it's been incredibly rewarding. I mean, it's brought us investors, it's brought us clients, I just like genuine friends. I'm, I'm like, I, I like one of my previous podcast guests who became a genuine friend just gifted me shares in his newest startup. He just got VC backed. So I am a firm believer, but but maybe not for the reasons everybody else is.
0: Yeah. All right. Fair enough. So we, we were looking actually recently, like what is the new, you know, what is the new emerging medium? And uh jury's still out, but we're we're leaning pretty heavily into, into memes, <laughs> into like professional content that is verging on like. Venn diagram between like work humor and actual humor. It's like Dilbert, but but more more current. And uh, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. But we're we love we have a weekly meme review meeting, and it's yeah.
1: <laughs> put put those up on TikTok, man. We do we some do. organic it's on, reach.
0: It's on TikTok. It's on. We get thousands of views on on TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn is a little bit tricky for it, but but it's there as well.
1: And in case we didn't cover it, the website is strata.cc. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great. Well, you know, you think about success that you've had. There's so many people who have done startups. Not many people have sold their startups to a multi-billion dollar entity. You know, there's so many people that have have tried things that have not been able to get the kind of traction that you've gotten. When you think about what you've done that other people haven't done, what do you attribute some of that success to?
0: So a big part of it is timing. A huge part of it is timing. You know, a question one question I have is if if I were to build the same kind of companies now if they would be equally successful, I think the answer is actually no. So you know it's a, it's a it's a couple of things that have to line up. So one of them is the market has to be there and the timing for it has to be right and the second is You have to be there and your background, perspective, experience, whatever, has to be just a little bit beyond where the market is. Can't be too far because then you're in no man's land. And like I have so many friends that were building what today we would call metaverse stuff and like 3D gloves and all that stuff in in the late 90s. I'm like, they can build all they want. but They're going to be waiting a long time until there's an actual market for it. So. If you're building something, it's just ahead of where a where market is now, and you can execute and actually close that gap, then there's a lot of value that's created. And by that, I mean sort of in the abstract. There's value, air quotes. Then you have to have another side of it, which is like the basically the business team. So you have to have somebody with the idea, then you have to have the right go to market. So it could be the same person. That's pretty rare. But if you have the combination of, of somebody that can actually sort of see where that gap is and, and execute and deliver on that and then have somebody that can properly either productize or commercialize it or sell it or whatever. You know, I think that's going to be, that was certainly what I've found worked really well. And if I don't have those two sides, I found it exceptionally frustrating because you have a product that works and makes sense and is great, or you have a customer problem that you have validated and understand deeply and you know you can scale. But if you don't have both to come together, you're just like screaming into the void of like, why, why isn't this here? <laughs> so in my experience, it, it's taken those two ingredients and once you have them at the right time in the right type of market, then then it's kind of magical.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. Well, if people want to connect with you online, where, where's
0: the best place? The easiest is email, actually. I'm not just saying it because we have an email product, but it always has been. So thorastrata.cc. Anybody listening, feel free to reach out if do to be of help. We'll also make some invites available. The product will be invitation only for a while, but for listeners, we will, we'll make some invites available. If you go to strata.cc and in the invite code field, just put, what should we make it?
1: Uh, how about innovation?
0: Let's make it innovation. Put innovation in the invite code and, and you'll get access to it right away. And then lastly... <clears throat> We are on, on all, the, all the social channels and it's generally some version of strata.cc. I think on Twitter, we have to spell it out and the rest is just strata.cc.
1: That's great. Well, thanks for making time for this.
0: Of course, great to be here.
1: Great, bye everyone.